So our theme for three weeks is going to be the theme of the capacity that you were born with. Let's start by looking at some scripture. We're going to read from uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Timothy begins, Paul begins this letter to Timothy by saying, this is why. Earlier he talks about two things in the chapter. One, he talks about how much Timothy wept when Paul and Timothy separated. They were very close. At this point in life, Paul was a weathered veteran of, of the Christian enterprise. Timothy was a young believer and a young worker in the kingdom. And they were very close, and Timothy wept when they separated. The second thing about this is why is that Paul references Timothy's faith. Not just his personal faith, but the faith that had been part of his family. He says, I remember the faith of your grandmother. I remember the faith of your mother and your faith as well. And so he says, for this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift which God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will, you will, through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, you will just sing your truth into our hearts and give it, give it a place to nest that it might bring fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All of us have capacity. We were born with capacity. Here's what capacity is. It is the amount and type of good that God has given me the potential to do in my lifetime. The amount and type of good that God has given me the potential to do in my lifetime. It is the amount and type of good God has given you the potential to do in your lifetime. He has given each of us capacity. I was riding through eastern Montana with a farmer one day, and he had just bought some more ground, and he was a good farmer, and he took me by this land he had just purchased. And he was a wheat farmer, and he said to me as we drove by his, his new land, it's going to take me two or three years to get this soil into shape to really produce. Now, here's what he meant, because I grew up on a wheat farm. And wheat is measured by bushels. What he meant was, this ground hasn't been cared for like it should. And it's only producing 20 or 25 bushels of wheat per crop. But it has the potential to produce 40 and 50 bushels of wheat. And it's going to take me two to three years to get this ground where it's operating at its full potential. Now here's something that's true about farmers. A good farmer feels internally violated if he has ground that's producing 25 bushels of wheat and he knows it can produce 40. You and I have capacity just like that ground. And this, this word has taken on fresh meaning for my wife Marcy and I just lately. I'd like to show you two pictures and... Uh, that have uh, something to do with what's been going on in our life. And so they'll, one will come up on the screen here in a minute. Ah, this is Camden Scott. This is our first grandchild. He was born April 17, 
Six weeks early, he came over in Beijing, China. His father, Nathan, is our son, and our daughter-in-law is Laura. And uh, because they're both music teachers, they've been home here for about a month. And so we have gotten to hold Camden a lot. Camden's a fussy baby, like his father. (laughs) I tell his father, he's just got that high-strung temperament of a musician. And uh, so we've been holding Camden. But he's not the only one we've been holding. There's another picture. Ah, that's Stace William. Stace William was born May 10th in Springfield, Illinois, to our other son, Nolan, and his wife, uh, Brianne. Uh, Stace William is expressing his enthusiasm for the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> now, that is, a, that is a hopeful prophetic word because his mom is from Illinois and is an avid Chicago Bears fan. So we're praying for conversion there. Uh, <laughs> And just as fussy as Camden is, Stace William is, uh, hey, world, here I am. He just kind of mellow and laid back. And, uh, you know, when we hold these two little fellas, we aspire for them. We dream big dreams. We aspire not just for them, but with them, because we know they will aspire. That they carry in their hearts a desire for exploits, aspirations of achievement, of impact, of meaning. We hold them and think about their college fund, and then we try not to think about their college fund. And See, that's that's a father and a grandfather a mother and a grandmother. Remember, it was God who chose parenting as his metaphor for how he looks at us. That we carry in our bosom, in our chest, we carry aspirations. We carry capacity. And it is so easy to have that capacity stolen away Or have it just drift downstream when we're not paying attention. But one of the great joys of life, one of the things that brings the Father so much pleasure and honors Him is when we respect the capacity He has put in our spirit. And we rise to that capacity and we mine for it and we lift it to the surface and we honor it and we protect it and we invest in it. Because we know it is from our Father, our Creator, and He put it in our spirit. So we're going to look at three ways this morning. Three ways, three aspects of living in our capacity that each one of us have. Here's the first. Identifying your spiritual capacity identifying your spiritual capacity. God has created all of us unique, and every one of us carry a particular kind of DNA that equips us for particular kind of things in a world, particular kinds of good that we have a capacity to do. 
We need to look no further than the Old Testament. God slips into Gideon's life. Gideon was having a hard time. The Midianites were coming down and raiding the Israelites every time they got a crop and taking the crop and stealing the livestock. And Gideon, when God steps into his life, Gideon was hiding in a wine press. God shows up, and here Gideon is, fearful and timid. And God says to Gideon, Oh, mighty warrior. Oh, mighty warrior. There was nothing in Gideon's history to suggest he was a mighty warrior. There was nothing in how he was responding to suggest he was a mighty warrior. God wasn't just calling him a mighty warrior. He was declaring, you are in your spirit a mighty warrior. That's who you were created to be. That's what your capacity is. He invited Gideon to step into this reality that God knew he already carried in his spirit. We slip into the New Testament. We'll find few people in the New Testament much more volatile than Peter. Up one day, down the next, big promises, colossal defeats. And yet, this guy who was all over the map from one day to the next heard Jesus say to him, you are a rock. There was almost nothing about Peter that was rock-like, stable, steady, secure, dependable. And yet God, looking down into Peter's spirit, knew how he had created Peter. And he was calling that out in Peter, saying, I have created you as a rock. Will you rise up to be what you were created to be? Then we find even in the life of Moses, Moses strategically placed into Pharaoh's palace and he grows up there, but he's an Israelite. One day as an Israelite, he's walking out and he's watching his own people being abused as slaves by the Egyptians and he sees one being abused and he kills the guard and then he tries to hide the body, but he's found out. And so he takes off into the wilderness, and now he's on the backside of the desert. And he gets over there, and he's by, a, he's by a well. And the priest of Midian has seven daughters. And they're trying to get water from the well, but, but they can't get there because a bunch of shepherds are keeping them away from the well. And he steps in on behalf of the daughters of the priest of Midian, and he protects them, and he helps them get water from the well. And then God comes to him and says, now I want you to lead my children out of Egypt. You see, from the beginning, Moses was a deliverer. He carried that in his heart. Even though he started too early and he made a mistake, still the killing of the guard, delivering his people, saving the women and helping them at the well, delivering them. He was a deliverer in his spiritual DNA. And you and I have a spiritual DNA that God wants us to mine, lift up, invest in, and live out of. One of the true things about life is that if you don't have a plan for your life, somebody else does. And some of us in this room and I include myself, 
has spent a large chunk of our life living someone else's plan instead of the plan God had for my life based on the spiritual DNA he put in my spirit. God wants to know if you will own it and honor it. Now here's another aspect about that, this spiritual DNA, however. Just as real as it is that you have been created with a unique spiritual DNA to do good in this world, there is something inside of us as fallen people that resists the call of God to rise up to what we were created. When God came to Moses, Moses didn't say, well, it's about time, you bet, I'm, I'm all in. He gave God not one, not two, not three, not four, five reasons why it could not possibly be him who was to be the deliverer of the children of Israel. Why it couldn't possibly be him that was going to have the skill and the wisdom to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Listen to his reasons. Well, who am I? You and I will never act out of an identity that we cannot claim as our own. Who am I, he says. Then he says, well, what if they ask who sent you and I don't even know your name? I'm, I'm spiritually inadequate. Then he says, well, what if they don't believe me? I, I won't have enough personal authority. Then he said, but I don't have the skill base for it. I'm not articulate enough. Then he said what most of us in this room have said sometime in our life, there's got to be somebody better than me that could do this. Somebody else is more gifted, they're more eloquent, they're more skilled, they don't struggle with the problems I struggle with, someone else. And yet God says, no Moses, it's you. So in the, in, in the face of the fact that you have a unique God-given spiritual DNA, in the face of the fact that there's something in us as fallen people that will resist it, we have to make a choice that we're going to embrace it, step into it, own it, invest in it, and honor it as a gift from God. Which leads us to number two. Not only do we need to identify our spiritual DNA, we need to be going from movement to momentum. Now that's a little cryptic, so let me tell you what it's about. Sometimes when people come to see me, I'll give them a little uh, exercise. It is so simple that it would not seem to be helpful enough to get to the real issues, but it is surprisingly effective, and here it is in four little steps. I will say to them, well, what do you want? Now, that is what Jesus said to Bartimaeus when Bartimaeus came to him. He said, Bartimaeus, what do you want? There is power in our declarations. And so I'll ask them to list what they want. And so they'll make a little list, anywhere from 3 to 15. So let's say they make a list of 12. Then I say, number two, take that same list and put them in order of priority. Most important to least important on your list. And so they'll take those 12 and they'll relist them in order of priority. And number three, I say, take the same list and list them in order of most in, or least intrusive to most intrusive. Least intrusive means 
in order for me to accomplish this goal, not much would have to change in my life. But most intrusive means, if I were going to do this, a lot of stuff would have to change. Now they've made a list, they put it in order of priority, they've made a, a list based on least to most intrusive, and then I'll say this. All right, now just pick three. <laughs> You'd be astounded at how difficult it is to get people to pick three. They'll say, well, I, where should I start? Well, I said, I don't know. It's your list. <laughs> See, they're trying to get me to tell them because they don't trust themselves. They don't trust the voice of God. They already know. I know they know. They, they might even know I know. But they don't know that they know. <laughs> and I've got to help them see that they, they need to know that they know. Because you know what? I trust how much God aspires to lift their DNA up. So I'll say, pick three. Well, I don't know. What three should I pick? Should I pick the real spiritual ones? Or how about the simple? I, I just, just pick three. And you know why I'm telling them that? Secondly, because the Bible says good overcomes evil. And if those three goals are authentically them, authentically part of who God created them to be, if they're righteous, it doesn't matter where they start. Good spills over. Just start. And as you start doing something good, something righteous, something wholesome, it starts impacting the second thing and the third thing and the fourth thing. It starts building your faith. It creates movement. But along with that, it generates spiritual authority. You and I have to be able to take personal authority over the DNA that God's given us. When God created Adam and Eve, he said to them, all right now, I want you to just rule over the Garden of Eden, my creation. So Adam and Eve had a committee meeting. And Adam says to Eve, now, did, I, didn't, I didn't see, did, did he give you the policy manual? Well, no, no policy manual. Well, I mean, how are we supposed to rule over the garden? There's got to be a policy man. There's got to be a list of things he wants us to do. What, what if we make a mistake? By the way, he told us to name the animals. I, are we supposed to check back with them? Are we supposed to say, all right, we're, we're, thinking, we're thinking zebra here? <laughs> no, God says, rule over the garden, name the animals... But I find people often have such a passive stance with God. They're waiting for God. What did, what did Paul say to what did Paul say to Timothy? He didn't say, no, Timothy, go to prayer and get God to, to fan the flames of your spiritual gift. No, he said, Timothy, you fan the flames of your spiritual gift. And God will be with you. You take personal authority and dominion over this area of your life. This righteous area that God is championing. 
personal authority. And then if, if we can't get God to, to, to lead us first, we try to find somebody else to make our choices for us. We are so afraid of getting it wrong. My father had many faults, some of them enormous. But I was never afraid to go home. I was never afraid to get it wrong. And all the colossal things that could happen in my life, I knew that my fault, father, though faulty as he was, no matter what I would have done, he would have welcomed me home. He might have wept with me, but the door would have always been there. And where in the world we get this almost petrifying fear of getting it wrong when God himself says, I am your father. That does not come from him. Personal authority. One of the things I learned about this arena of life, though you and I must take personal authority, I have learned how tentative, how timid we are in doing it. Because of that, I've learned there's almost, there are few things more powerful than giving permission. To be a permission giver carries enormous impact because many of the things we'll feel in our spirit are things that we feel enormous fear stepping into. And for someone to give us permission is a powerful thing. All of us have a spiritual DNA. We need to create personal authority going from movement to momentum. Thirdly, we have to choose space versus clutter. Space means we're giving these things, this thing, focus and attention and energy. We're not going to be a mile wide and an inch deep. Because most of us live in a country where we can do almost anything, most of us try to do almost everything. Paul said, this one thing I do. When the widow brought her small offering to the temple, Jesus was watching people with great wealth drop off their surplus. And he saw this widow, and she had two mites. She had the two smallest coins of the realm. And she put them in. They were all she had. And Jesus said, this woman gets it. He wasn't, he wasn't diminishing the gift of others. He just recognized that this woman had narrowed life down to where she knew whose side she was on. She knew what life was about, and it was worth everything to her. Space versus clutter means we're not spending our life making indiscriminate investments. I was watching a show on Hitler's dilemma with his army. He'd conquered all of Europe except Great Britain. Now he was fighting a war on the Eastern Front with Russia, but he was afraid of Britain and afraid that U.S. would enter the war, and so he decided to build a set of armaments along the coast, running from the Scandinavian countries all the way to Spain. 
hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles of coastline. He, invest, he invested hundreds of thousands of troops, millions and millions of dollars, scattering armaments and guns and, and fortifications all along the European Atlantic Sea. And the Allies breached it in three and a half hours. You and I get our lives so spread out that we barely know what we're about. Space to focus or clutter. It's an invitation to clarity. And the Lord's invitation to you and me is, can you recognize your spiritual DNA? Can you identify it? As you identify it, are you able to invest in it and start creating movement that can build to momentum? And in that process, can you focus in, get rid of all the clutter, and throw your energy behind that? Now these three things, catch this. Your spiritual DNA is about personal identity. You will never consistently behave in a way different than you see yourself. Going from movement to momentum is about personal authority. Choosing space versus clutter is about personal management. Three aspects of purposeful living. Personal identity, personal authority, personal management. Three elements of purposeful living. And you will find these three things in the life of Jesus, the life of Paul, the life of Nehemiah, the life of Moses, people who lived purposefully. All right, I want to tell you a story. I tell it every so often just because I like it. It does my heart good. And you'll see the point of it and how it applies to all of us as we finish. It's a true story. I read it in the newspaper some years ago. It's about a man who decided he wanted to start a coffee shop in downtown Minneapolis. It's going to be a little coffee shop, seating only 40, 50 people. But he had a friend. His friend was Winton Marcellus, maybe the greatest jazz trumpeter alive today. And he asked Winton Marcellus if for the grand opening, they couldn't even advertise it because if you can only see 40 or 50 people, you can't be advertising Winton Marcellus. He asked Winton Marcellus if he'd just come down clandestinely for the grand opening and just play his trumpet. And so Winton Marcellus agreed just for his friend. And so they had their grand opening one evening and Winton Marcellus was down there. People were coming in for their espresso and mocha and hey, it was Winton Marcellus. On the other end of downtown is Orchestra Hall on Nicollet Mall. And that night, the Minnesota Orchestra was playing, and their guest that night was Itzhak Perlman, perhaps one of the greatest violinists in the world. And when Itzhak Perlman finished playing with the Minnesota Orchestra that night, he went out and got in his limo, and then he said to his driver, I heard that Winton was in town. He gave him the address and he asked him to take him to the coffee shop. Winton Marcellus was just finishing a number when he looked up 
and he announced to the audience, ladies and gentlemen, it appears that the greatest violinist in the world has just walked through the front door and he's got his violin with him. And for people who thought that night they were just going to pop in and get a mocha, they walked into this little coffee shop in downtown Minneapolis and there jamming on a little makeshift stage was the greatest jazz player, trumpet player in America and perhaps the greatest classical violinist in the world. And can you imagine what those people said when they got home? When they called their friends, they would have said, Wow! You won't believe what happened to me last night. And they would tell them the story of who was in the coffee shop. I believe there is such power in the spiritual DNA you carry that it is God's intention as you mine it and lift it to the surface and invest in it and hone it. It is God's intention that people will come into the sphere of your life and they will walk away and they will be saying, Wow! Did you see that? And it will bring God such joy and honor and it will bring you such joy to have been able to function that way and it would have poured such life into the people around you that you have in you the capacity to build wows into the lives of other people. I feel that regular. There are times when I watch Brandon and this worship team and some of the preview songs they sing at the beginning and the end and I walk out and I, I, say, I, just, I say, wow. I asked Brandon last night, I said, is there anything you can't sing? And when we were in China visiting our son and his wife, who are both music teachers, for the first time in my life, you know our kids are always just our kids. I mean, I know he's 37, but you know, he's just, you know. And he, he invited us just to sit in on one of his music classes. And so my wife Marcy and I sat in the back corner while he taught. And I told him last night after the service, we went out to old Chicago, and I said, I'll tell you, when I left that classroom, I was saying, wow, what a teacher. You carry that. And I know for some of you, you've, you've had some, some such disappointment in your life that other people... And Satan himself has tried to steal that from you. And God still sees it like a father who's carrying his son. And he knows you still carry a wow for other people. That will give them life and remind them that God lives. So be loyal to the DNA that God has put in your spirit. Because this broken world needs it. Well, let's set our things aside and finish. Could I invite you to bow your heads with me? And 
close your eyes as we finish up this morning. Thanks for being so attentive. Our heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We're not looking around and nobody's going to embarrass you. But in an audience of this size, there are some of us here today who've never personally met the very God that's put this greatness inside of you. This one who, when he saw you born, knew he had created you with this powerful spiritual DNA. So you've been kind of going life alone. And there is no better day but today for you to pray to this God. And you could pray something like this, Lord, thank you that I am made like this. Thank you that that's, this is what I carry in my spirit. Lord, forgive me for just living life so independently. I'd like you to invite, I'd like to invite you into my heart. Would you partner with me and help me become the very person you created me to be? You could pray that prayer right now. In fact, we're just going to wait for a little bit. And you pray. And you ask the Lord for him to come into your heart. Would you do that as we wait? are bowed and eyes are closed but could I ask you if you've been praying that prayer if you've been inviting Jesus into your heart just to honor him who created you would you just slip your hand up and put it down and say pastor I, I prayed that prayer yeah over here in my right so I'm here in my right center left center way over on the left up here in the front way way further over on the left you bet over on the right here up near the front, you bet, way over here on the right, amen, scripture says you're moving from death unto life, God sees that commitment, now there are many of us in this room who are like me, you've walked with the Lord for years, but you've allowed a people, your own timidity, the intimidation of Satan and a clutter of other things to steal from you, to keep you from this gift, this DNA that's part of who he created you to be. And right where you're at, you could pray and you say, Lord, I want to step into this new reality. I want to embrace the spiritual DNA that you have built into me. I want to make it a priority. I want to mine for it and honor it. I want to be the kind of person doing the kind of things that brings you joy and can create a wow of life in someone else. Lord, would you help me do that? Would you show me the next step I need to take? 
be able to move in that direction. And you could pray a prayer like that. We're just going to wait and let you pray and ask the Lord for that help. Could I ask you if you're praying, if you're asking the Lord for that help, would you just slip your hand up and put it down? Say, Pastor, I'm praying that. Yeah, all over, from left to right, all over the auditorium. You bet. The Lord sees that commitment. Over on my left. Get on my left. Way in the back on the right. Let's pray. Father, you always call us to have faith in you, but you want to remind us you have faith in us too. You created us as your children. We are loved. Lord, for these who slipped their hands up at the beginning and have invited you into their life, I pray that you'll let nothing steal that away. You'll give them some sign of assurance, of affirmation. What they did matters, that it was seen in heaven, that they have moved from death unto life. I pray for many of us who have walked with you and are believers. Somehow we have not been focused on what you've created us to be. For all these who slipped their hands up, Father, don't, don't allow that to be stolen away. We've called out to you. Show us the next step. Give us your grace in this process. Thank you for your kindness in Jesus' name.